0: well 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 welcome everybody happy saturday to all of you beautiful people Whether you're here in person or watching online, it's so good to have you. If you guys are joining us for the first time, my name is Pastor Susie, and I have the honor and privilege to be the founder and pastor here at God Squad Church. And man, I love looking out at all of you lovely people. feels good when there's people in the room. I I got so used to preaching to a screen. There was nobody there looking at people. It's just special. I love it. (laughs) Welcome, friends, and especially if you're joining us, you might not know that last week we just started a six-week series on how to win. We launched our new vision statement for the church. We didn't change the vision of the church. We're just clarifying the vision and really talking about how do we actually accomplish reaching gamers. And if you didn't hear it, our new vision statement is gamers winning together. And for the next five weeks and a 6 weeks total series, we're talking about this topic, how to win. And last week we kicked it off with what does it really mean to win. We defined winning as knowing Christ. So many people define winning as Having lots of money, having a good marriage, driving a fancy car, having lots of Twitch viewers, achieving partnership status, getting your affiliate for the first time, getting a sub button. What does it really mean to win? We defined winning as knowing Christ. And I really hope that you'll stick around for this series because right now in 2020, I think that most people wouldn't say that they feel like they're winning. 2020 has probably felt like loss after loss after loss, and most people right now probably feel like they're Losing. They've lost their job. They've lost finances. They're beginning to lose their mind. Everyone feels like they're losing. But I believe in 2020, we can still win if we'll trust God. For the past two days, our staff, we spent the past two days, in my opinion, winning. We attended what's called the Global Leadership Summit, which is an eight hour a day, really intense leadership training. We did it digital, obviously, because of COVID 19, but it was intense. There were some of the greatest leaders on the planet speaking and investing in our team. And I love their saying, I don't know if the staff members it, but they say, everybody wins when the leader gets better. And it's so true. Developing in our staff and investing in our staff is so important because when the leaders get better, everything gets better. We learn to serve our people better. We learn to lead our church better. And when things get better, everybody wins. It's important for us to invest in our staff, but we had another big win just recently. How many of y'all know Pastor Tammy? Mama Higgs. Okay, she was appointed as a pastor recently. She's in the second row with her husband, Scott. What you might not know is that she had a big win recently where she just finished her first year of formal education studying the Bible. Can we give it up for Pastor Tammy? But that's not the only win. Her final class, she got a 100%. I call that a win. One more time, ladies and gentlemen. I call that a win. And Today, we're continuing week number two in our series, How to Win, and today we're talking about how to win with God. How many of y'all know what patch notes are? Probably most people in the room know what patch notes are. I'm looking at the chat, lots of people here. Y'all probably know what patch notes are, but if you don't, I'm gonna bring it up to speed. Patch notes are, whenever a game developer, which are the people that make the video games, they put out a game, and they put it out for a while, it gets played, they get feedback from the community, and they realize this is really good, okay, this is too good, we need to make some changes, Patch notes are when the game developers send out notes to the community saying, we are making these changes to the game effective this date. And they could be anything. They could be we are making the amount of ammo this gun has smaller. We're making it do less damage. This is way too strong of a weapon, so we are going to what's called nerf it, make it weaker. Or this weapon is way too weak, we're going to buff it, which means make it Stronger could be removing this from the game or adding a new map, whatever. Any changes that they make to the game, especially when it comes to terms of how you win, they send out patch notes so the community is aware and equipped with the information in which they need in order to win. Now, a lot of gamers like myself make the mistake of not always reading the patch notes. Okay? <laughs> so I'll go in day one to a new patch. I haven't read the patch notes and because of it, I wonder why my weapon all of a sudden is awful. I used to kill people and win with this gun all the time, but now I'm losing left and right. It's because I didn't read the patch notes that they nerfed the thing into the ground, and it's no longer what they would call part of the meta, which means it's not your go-to weapon. Stop using it. And if you do not read the patch notes, it is very unlikely that you are going to win. There was one, I think, historic moment where not reading patch notes was the most punishing, it was when Fortnite added something called redeploy. If you don't play Fortnite or any Battle Royale, normally you fall from the sky, you're just flying down, picking where you wanna go, and then you pull a parachute, and then you get to land where you want safely without taking what's called fall damage, which means if you jump from really high, like in real life and hit the ground, you're probably gonna die. But with the parachute, you can land safely. But redeploy did something interesting, where for the first time in the history of Fortnite, at any moment, you could pull out your parachute again. You could jump off a building, jump off a tower, jump off a cliff, and without fearing fall damage, you could just pull your parachute. So people got used to this. They got used to not being able to fall. They would build huge skyscrapers and would stay up there forever because, like, well, if it gets knocked down, I'll just redeploy my parachute. No big deal. All good. But people got used to that until one day when Fortnite took it out. And they added in the patch notes, it was like one fine line, by the way, redeploy has been removed. And there were streamers all day and on YouTube on the first day where redeploy was removed that they were losing left and right because they didn't read the patch notes. I mean, they'd be in a one-v-one, final situation, the guy is way on top, the enemy is on bottom, and what they would do is they would jump off, pull their parachute, land, and shotgun the guy in the face. But you'd see it left and right that streamers would jump off, not knowing that the patch notes said redeploy was moved, and splat to their loss. And a strategy that they used to use in order to win, because the patch notes changed, is now a strategy that would now cause them to lose, over and over and over, trying to pull the parachute, wondering why I can't, and wondering why I can't win, because I didn't read the patch notes. What used to be a strategy that caused me to win is now a strategy that caused me to lose. And if you understand the Bible, you'll understand that the Bible is God's patch notes and that there was a point in history where God put out a patch note that said, the old way that you used to win with God will no longer work. There's a new way. But if you don't understand the patch notes, you'll keep on losing, practicing a strategy that used to cause you to win that will now cause you to lose. We've got a lot of content to go over today. I'm going to go as fast as I can, but as clearly as I can in the time that we have allotted. Some of y'all are like, what's that, three hours? We're going to move quick, but I promise you, if you will stick through me, stick with me through this content, I pray that when I circle it back in the end to talk about how to win with God, Your eyes will be opened, and you will see both yourself and God in a new way. I know you're going to be tempted to click that X button. I promise you, stick with us, and you will be blessed. We've got a lot of content. I want to pray and ask God that he would help us, and then we're going to dive right in. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, that we have access to read your word and to learn from you, to be encouraged, to be blessed, to be strengthened, to be corrected, And to be challenged. And I pray that God today as we dive into your word, I pray that you would open up our minds and our ears and our hearts. So that we might learn, God, how to win with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that a lot of people talk about if they don't believe in God is they make this statement that you've probably heard before. That the Bible contradicts itself. You've probably heard someone in your life say that. Well, you say this, but in another part of the Bible I read this. And one of the biggest reasons this happens is because in the Old Testament, there was one way to win with God. And in the New Testament, there's a new way to win with God. And if you don't understand the context, don't understand the grand scheme of the Bible, you'll be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Because in here it says this, and over here it says this. How do I marry the two? How do I understand how to actually win with God and what does that actually even mean? And in order to understand this principle, you need to understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, what's called the Old Covenant and New Covenant. The way I describe for today's message what covenant means is God's old way of how to win with him. And the New Testament, the New Covenant, the new promise is the new way on how to win with God. But what's happening is, People sometimes are trying to win with God, but doing it the old way, doing it the old way. Let me break down what this means. In the Old Testament, if you've never read the Bible, in layman's terms, like the first half of the Bible, it's called the Old Testament. And in the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, we see lots and lots and lots of rules. People talk about this all the time when it comes to religion. Oh, it's just a bunch of rules. In the Old Testament, there are 613 rules. That's a lot of rules. I could barely count to 17. There's 613 rules on how to win with God in the Old Testament. A lot of rules. And if you understand it, most of them can be broken down into three categories. It's going to be on the screen. The first one is civil laws. Civil laws. This was the civil laws that dealt mainly with relationships between individuals the settling of disputes, and the description of proper behavior. I'm not going to read all those for you. Don't worry. We'll be here all day. You can read those later if you want. Take a screenshot. My guy, Azul, people, hit your keybind, or whatever it is. Take it. Look that up later. But a lot of these rules were broken down to what's called civil laws. second grouping of laws was known as ceremonial laws. These were laws that dealt with the priesthood initiation, priestly procedures, As they related to the various sacrifices through which the old the people of the Old Testament, the old way of winning, were cleansed of their sins. Old ways of winning, and the third category of laws were broken into moral laws. Now, these ones were unique because although even what I just read to you with civil and ceremonial, some of y'all are like, well, those don't really sound like the world we live in today, but this one is unique. Because these are based on the character and standards of God, which God never changes, so his standards never change. These are best known as what people would really simplify them as the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments would be considered God's moral law. And in the Old Testament, like the law, it was everything. It's what people lived by, and back then, like everybody, almost everybody knew about the law and everyone's main goal was like, yo, I got to obey the law. Got to obey the law. Got to follow the rules. If I want to win with God, got to follow the rules. If I want to win with God, got to make sure I don't commit adultery. I want to win with God, got to make sure that I do this and I cleanse and I do all this stuff in order to win with God, you needed to follow the rules. There were benefits for following the rules and consequences for not following the rules. Even a few weeks ago when I did my message on treading tension between truth and grace, I mentioned that story of the woman who committed adultery, which was one of the the moral laws. And the Pharisees said, according to the law, we should kill this woman. So, like, breaking the law was a big deal. Sinning against a holy God was and still is a big deal. But in order to win with God, you needed to follow all these rules. And there was very specific ways of doing it. I mean, we could talk about this all day there would normally be what's called a high priest who, if you wanted to be able to connect with God, well, one, too bad, you just can't. We can't just, no one, not everyone can just connect with God and have relationship and talk to God and experience his presence in the old way. Like, you just couldn't do that. But a high priest, sometimes on one day of a year, they would go through this whole ceremony and they would be able to walk into the temple behind a really tall, thick veil more like a thick curtain, and they would get behind the veil into what's called the Holy of Holies, and that one guy, after all that effort, on that one day, could get into the presence of God, and whether he was repenting of sins, representing the people, whatever it may be. This was the old way of winning with God. There's tons more into it, but for the sake of time, I'm trying to really clarify and simplify it for you. But in order to win with God, you needed to follow the rules. But then fast forward, here we are in the New Testament where Jesus comes on the scene, lives his life all the way to the end of the Bible. New Testament, new covenant, new promise, new way to win with God. We talked about the old way to win with God, but then there's a new way to win with God. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus becomes the new way to win with God. In the Old Testament, you need to follow the rules, and if you didn't, you needed to sacrifice animals And the animals would shed their blood. I'm really glad we don't live in the old way because I I don't know if I could stomach it. But they would shed their blood. The Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. I mean like really complicated stuff. Like some of y'all are like, I hate 2020. And now you're like, wow, I'm really glad I live in 2020 and not in the Old Testament. Because like things were rough. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always the best at following rules. So I'm really glad that I didn't live in the old way to win with God. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes and lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for us. Why? Because there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So in the Old Testament, you commit a sin, you sacrifice an animal, shed its blood for the forgiveness of your sins. The New Testament, Jesus becomes, you might have heard his nickname, the Lamb of God. He became that lamb that was sacrificed His blood was shed for your sins. And it wasn't just a Band-Aid or a temporary fix. Because in the Old Testament, like every time you sinned, like you needed to do it again and again and again. Jesus came and died on the cross once and for all. It is finished. We can win with God by experiencing Jesus. And the way that we win with God shifted. The patch notes have been updated. You no longer need to sacrifice animals. It's not always just about the law and the rules and the rules. It's about knowing, trusting, and following Jesus. Shift and a change in the way that we win with God. But this gets confusing because then we're like, okay, well, why did God shift it? Like, was it working? And if it, ain't, if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. And, like, was God's system just, like, bad to begin with? Like, why did God change the way that we win with him? Like, why did he do that? It seems like in the Old Testament, I mean, like, we believe that people in the Old Testament will be in heaven. So if they could have gone to heaven, and we can go to heaven, like, why, why, even, why even change it? Why, make, why add some new patch notes? And now we've got Old Testament... We've got New Testament. People are reading the Bible like, I've got two sets of ways to win. Like, which one do I do? It's like when you go on YouTube and you're looking up a guide on how to fix a car or fix an AC or win a game, and you watch one YouTuber and he says this. You watch another YouTuber and he says this. Both want to get you to the same conclusion but have completely different routes. I don't even know which one to do. Do I do the Old Testament? Do I do the New Testament? Here's what Paul says. Stick with me, because if you will, I believe this will revolutionize the way you see God and the way you see how you win with him. Paul is writing to a church in the Galatians church, and he's writing to them, and he starts off with a pretty strong language, really showcasing, like, I'm passionate. Like, I'm serious about what we're talking about here. Galatians chapter 3, he says, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Please just tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive relationship with God? Did you receive salvation by the works of the law, by obeying the rules, by following the regulations? Or did you receive relationship with Christ by believing what you heard and putting your faith and trust in Christ. Which way did you win? Did you win by following a ton of rules? Or did you win by putting your faith and trust in Jesus? Number three, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Essentially saying, you started winning with God by putting your trust in Christ. Now are you trying to continue to win by performing? Like, you started winning by putting your trust and saying yes to Jesus, but now you want to keep on winning by doing a bunch of stuff and following a bunch of rules? Is that how you think you're going to continue to win? He says, are you so foolish? Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? Does he do all of this by your ability to follow the rules? or by believing what you've heard. Same chapter, skipping out of verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law, for all who rely on their ability to follow rules, they are under a curse. This is pretty strong language to describe the old way to win with God. Like, he's not talking about some toxic thing. He's talking about rules that God made. And he's calling them a curse. How did we get from this was the old way to win to now it's a curse. How did, we, how did we get here? As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly no one who relies on the law, on their ability to follow rules, is justified before God. Being justified before God, like in a court of law justice, is going from being guilty to being innocent. So he's saying, no one that just follows rules is then made innocent. We are made innocent by the forgiveness that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That's how we win. The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. If you want to follow the law, that's going to be your only reward. You're just going to happen to be a good person, which in the end is going to cause you to lose, like we talked about last week. Christ redeeming us from the curse. Christ redeeming us from the curse. Jesus redeemed us from the old way to win with God. He's calling his own laws that he made a curse. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, my mind's like, I don't know what's happening here. Like, God, you made these rules. Now you think they're bad? Like, what? what what's happening here? Christ redeemed. Like, that's a serious word, like redeemed, like rescued. Like, people use this word for saving people out of, like, human trafficking. Like, I saved you from the law. Like, this is serious terminology. Redeemed you from the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, "Curses is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ. The Gentiles were people that were outside of, in layman's terms, born to the family of God. They were outside of it. But Jesus died so that even people on the outside could then become on the inside. So that by faith, not by doing a bunch of stuff, not by following rules, not by your own performance, but by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, you might receive the promise of the Spirit. Skipping down to verse 19, here's a big question. Why then was the law given at all? Jesus, you just called your own law a curse. You gave us all a law that now you're dissing on. So here's a question. Why make it in the first place? Why even make the law in the first place? It was added because of transgressions, your wrongdoing, your sins against the holy God. Until the seed, notice the capital S, of whom the promise referred to come, being Jesus, the law was given through the angels entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness which certainly have come by the law. Your right standing, going from guilty to being innocent, that would have come simply by your ability to follow rules. But that's not what happened. Verse 22. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith, that's how we win with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe, not who do good at following rules not with long resumes like we talked about last week with Paul but by putting their faith in Christ it would be given to those who believe before the coming of this faith we were held in custody under the law I mean you keep reading this and like dang Paul really didn't like the law but he but like he used to like be the man of the law Before he came to know Jesus. And now he's like, I've 180'd on my view of what the law did for me. He calls it a prison. He literally calls following God's rules of the Old Testament a prison. You were under the prison of the law. So the law was our guardian. Guardians keep people safe. The law was our guardian until, here's the patch notes. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified go from guilty to innocent by faith, not by performance, not by following rules, not by staying in the law, but by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. Now that Jesus has come, he's my new guardian, not the law. So in Christ You are all children of God through faith, not the law. So like if you read the Old Testament and then see the New Testament, like this starts messing with your mind because you're like, I just want to figure out how to win with God. Like how do I actually get to heaven? How do I experience fulfilling, thriving relationship with God? First half of the book tells me one way. Second half of the book tells me another. Like, Which one do I actually choose? And here Paul is obviously stating, don't choose the old one. Choose the new one. You want to win with God. It doesn't happen through your performance or your following of the rules. It happens through putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the forgiveness of your sins, and through His work for you, gaining eternal life. But the really tricky thing about this passage is Paul is not just taking emphasis on your ability to follow the law. Like, he's taking emphasis off of the law itself. And I'm just reading this, and I'm like, God, like, this was your law. Like, some random guy didn't, like, you know, a new manager that you hired didn't come in and, like, make some rules, and then you, like, finally came off your throne and were like, these are bad rules. Don't listen to that guy. Listen to me. Like, these were your own rules, And if the Bible is inspired and written by God, God told Paul to disown on his own rules. My brain (laughs) is just like, what's happening? God is calling his own laws a prison and a curse. Maybe I'm thinking too deep. But I'm like, God, these were yours. And now you're telling us to get rid of the law? The thing that you made. And so we go, okay, here's the struggle we have today. Okay, well, we got the Old Testament. All right, Pastor, you've convinced me that the new way to win with God is through Christ and not through my performance. But there's still 613 laws in the Old Testament. And a lot of times in church what happens is we pick and choose which ones we want to keep. You know, we got a bunch of laws about like women can't cut their hair in the Old Testament You can't do certain things on certain days, tattoos, and we start picking and choosing. Well, okay, Jesus died to set us free from the law, but really he died to set us free from laws 7, 94, 116, 432, 500 is iffy. Yeah, we'll get that one out too, but we'll keep all the rest. And I'm going to pick some laws that Jesus didn't die to set us free from. So like some are still in play today. But some are not. And some people might say with the three laws, we'll put those back up on the screen, the civil law, some people might say today that, you know what, Jesus, when he died, got rid of the civil law. Because, I mean, look at it. Deals mainly with the relationships, the selling of disputes, description of proper behavior, right? Like certain things you see here, they're like, oh, okay, those might, some of them like deal with today, but some of them don't. So let's, okay, let's just get rid of all the civil laws. So let's scratch out one third. And then the ceremonial laws. Okay, well, Jesus died, set us free from the prison of the ceremonial law. But then here's what some will say. All of those are gone, but let's keep the moral law. And this is their understanding. Because the moral law is based on God's character, and if God's character doesn't change, then the law can't change. Things like the Old Testament. But here's what I need you to understand, and I want you to hear my heart. Jesus either died to set us free from all the laws or none of the laws. We can't pick, like, oh, this one is good, but that one's bad. That's called legalism. That's called legalism. You can get to heaven by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, but if you have a tattoo, then you can't go to heaven. Well, we know that gaining salvation is by having a relationship with Christ But if you do this on a certain day, you can't go to heaven, and that's a sin. We're going to get rid of laws 17, 49, 86, but we're going to keep all the rest. Jesus died to either set us free from all the laws or none of the laws. And at first you're like, okay, well, now things are getting crazy. So you're saying that God is now saying that I can disobey the Ten Commandments? So it's okay for me to do adultery then? So it's okay for me to lie, cheat, steal, murder, lie to my parents? It's okay to do those things. Jesus dying on the cross needs to have a paradigm shift in your mind as to why you obey God's standards. It needs to have a paradigm shift in why you obey God. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a lot of people that only followed the law because they didn't want to get in trouble. Like, I mean, we talked about the woman, like, she committed adultery, and now she's about to get stoned. So a lot of people are like, I really want to cheat on my husband, but I won't because I, like, don't want to die. I don't know about you, but I would really like my wife to not cheat on me for more reasons other than she doesn't want to die. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd really like my wife to stay faithful to me because she loves me, not because she's going to die. I don't really think that's a very loving motivator. Tons of people in the Old Testament Breaking laws because their only motive for keeping them was fear out of the consequence and not love for God. So if we talk about the moral standards, the Ten Commandments, did Jesus set us free from the law? Yes and no. He set us free from the law in the sense of if you commit adultery, you're not going to die. But you'll still be in sin against a holy God. Let me put it through this way. When it comes to the speed limit, how many of y'all know there's a speed limit? Some of y'all are like, there's a speed limit? I've been driving 15 over. That's why I keep getting pulled over? Like, yes, there's a speed limit. But if the speed limit were to be taken away, there'd be two things that would happen. The speed limit, one, doesn't just keep people from getting a fine. It keeps people alive. Texting and driving in many states has become a law. You shouldn't just obey that law because you don't want to get a ticket. You should obey that law because people that text and drive often die. You shouldn't stay faithful to your wife because you're afraid of your children thinking negatively of you. You should stay faithful to your wife because you love her. The principle that I want you to understand here is that Jesus setting us free from the law doesn't set us free from his standards, but here's the difference. I don't do anything because I have to. I do everything because I want to. I obey God's character and standards because I love him. So I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. Well, I do my best. I do my best to honor God because I love him. Oftentimes, we only focus on the negative effects and the consequence of following or breaking God's rules. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't die just so that you could avoid the burden of his rules. Jesus died so you could access the benefits of righteousness. There are not just consequences for doing bad things. There is a righteousness and a benefit that comes from obeying God. If you don't cheat on your wife, chances are your marriage is probably going to be better. If you don't lie to all of your friends, chances are you're going to have better relationships. So God's like, I don't just want you to focus on not breaking rules anymore. I want you to focus on loving me enough to live by my standards. I want you to love me. I want you to live by my standards because you love me enough that you don't want to break my heart. I don't want to be unfaithful to my wife because I love her. Not just because people would run me off the internet. There is a very big difference in how you win with God and why you want to win with God. Let me tell you, friends, heaven is not a place For people who don't just want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love God. There's a big difference. Well, I I want to go to heaven because hell sounds like it sucks, so I don't want to go there. That's not a good reason to serve God. I want to serve God because He's worth serving. I want to serve God because there's nothing better. It is my joy to live by His standards. It's not just about avoiding the burden of his rules. It's about accessing the blessings of righteousness. There is a completely different motive, completely different motive as to why I serve God. I'm not just avoiding something. I'm gaining something. Intimate relationship with Jesus. And that even if I fall short I can be forgiven. Oh well, okay. So, well, if there's no more like laws in place, so does that mean that I can just do whatever I want and God will forgive me anyway? Romans six says absolutely not, absolutely not. Read this with me. Romans six verse eleven to fifteen. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Here Paul's not saying avoid sin because of the law. He's saying avoid sin because of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law anymore. But now you're under grace. So then what then? Shall we just sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Absolutely not. I don't just not cheat on my wife because I don't want my future kids to be upset with me. I stay faithful to my wife because I love her. There's a world of a difference. Can you imagine reaching the end of your life, 50 year wedding anniversary, and your spouse writing you a card that says, Only stayed with you for the kids? Can you imagine? Only stayed with you for the kids? What about the other? I stayed with you because I couldn't imagine my life without you. I stayed with you because I loved you. And it was my honor to serve you. There is a massive difference on how and why we win with God. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. Which one do I follow? Okay, Susie, I'm clearly understanding that the New Testament is what I should follow. But why should I follow it? I want to take it to Hebrews as I'm wrapping up. Hebrews 7, I get that, okay, I'm living in the New Testament, the new way to win with God, not through my performance, not because I'm avoiding consequences, but putting my faith in Christ because I love Jesus, world of a difference. But look at Hebrews 7, why should I follow the new law? Verse 7, sorry, verse 1, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people was established by that priesthood, then why was there still need for another priest? Remember we talked about earlier the high priests, one of them being Melchizedek. Why was there need for another one? For when the priesthood is changed, when there's a new priest, The law must be changed also. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is our new high priest. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of power and the indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever. In the Old Testament, a high priest would rule, and especially Melchizedek. He was both king and priest. But eventually he would die because he was human. But Jesus has come and he'll be high priest forever. The former regulation, rules, laws, is set aside. And here's why you should follow the new one. Because the old one was weak and useless. God, God, you made the law. Like, these are, like this is your law, and now you just called it useless. I, God, what are you doing? Why would you ever make laws that are useless? Like, why would, you, why would you do that? The law was weak and useless, for the law made nothing or no one perfect. And a better hope is now introduced by which we, near, by which we draw near to God, by which we win with God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when, he, when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. I'm going to tie this thin in a second. A better covenant. A better way of winning with God. Last few verses. Hebrews 8, now verse 6. But in that fact, the ministry of Jesus have received is superior, better to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, which is superior than the old one. The new way of winning with God is better than the old way of winning with God. Since the new covenant is established on better promises, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, the old way to win with God, There would have been no place and no reason to seek for another. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he made the first way of winning with God obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now, there's two types of people hearing this right now. Some of y'all are like, praise God. The new way is better. Let's do it. Then there's people like me who are like, if the new way is better, why wasn't we doing it from the very beginning? Like, if the new way to win with God is better, and God calls his own laws useless, why weren't we doing it from the beginning? See, game devs are humans. Game developers, they make a game, so it's got its own rules and standards. And then because they're human, they realize, okay, well, this isn't working as well as I thought. This isn't working as well as I thought. Let's make some changes, let's make some adjustments. Let's put out some patch notes and let's change some things so that we can make the game better. Here God says, I made some new rules because the old ones were bad, and now these new ones are good. But I'm like, God, game developers are humans who make mistakes. Sure, they try something for the first time. They learn and get better. But God, that's not you. We talked about it last week, that God can't learn. Everything there is to learn, he already knows. So God, if you knew this was better all along, why wasn't we doing it from the beginning? Why weren't we following the better rules that you knew that were better from the beginning? Why weren't we following that Here's what I'd share with you. Pastor Wincherry said this to me recently, and I pray that it blesses your heart. That God didn't give you the old covenant so that you could prove to Him that you could follow it. He gave it to you so He could prove to you that you couldn't. He gave you the law not so that you could be like God. Look at how good I am at you. Look at how good I am at obeying the law. He gave you the law so he could show you that we can't follow it. My brain. Pastor Susie, last week you told me that it is God's ultimate goal for me to win. Now you're telling me that God created a whole system for me to lose? Ah! My brain! What is happening The most important thing that you need to hear is what's super frustrating about patch notes is when you hear about the changes, but you don't know why. Oh, well, they took out redeploy. Why in the world do they do that? They made my favorite weapon obsolete. Why would they do that? If you read about the methods without understanding the motives, you will only ever be frustrated. But when you understand God's heart, you will understand why. See, growing up, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, and I am now a pastor. Thank you, Dad, for being a legend. But I'm not an only child. I have a brother three years older than I am. And we both grew up in church, and we both had our struggles with God. And I knew about God, but I didn't really understand really what it meant to follow and love and serve Jesus. And my brother didn't either. But I, you know, I just loved playing video games. So, like, my favorite thing to do was just stay home and game. My brother's not a gamer. So we both didn't really fully know and believe in God and follow Jesus. But honestly, gaming kept me safe. It kept me home. It kept me out of trouble. My my brother didn't like video games. So he found other alternatives to pass his time. He would go out with friends and hang around with the wrong crowd, started drinking, started getting into drugs, and it was an awful night when my parents got the phone call at four o'clock in the morning that their son, my brother, had been put in jail for possession of drugs. And at that moment, my parents felt like they were losing. This is my son, where did I go wrong? How did, how did we get here? I thought we were winning, but secretly we were losing. And my brother would go through months and months and months of rebellion, and doing drugs and drinking. And my parents tried everything to help my brother win. They tried multiple methods. Their first method was, well, let's do everything we can to help him. Let's let him know that he's loved. Let's continue to pay for all his bills. Let's make sure that we are doing everything we can to keep him home so he stays out of trouble. And after months and months and months and months of that not winning, my parents decided maybe we need to change our strategy of how we're gonna help our son win. And through a series of events, my brother no longer lived in our home. And at just 18, he went off to live with his girlfriend who was almost 30 at the time hanging around with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, and my brother continued to lose. Drinking more alcohol, doing more drugs, getting around the the wrong people, continued to lose and lose and lose. My parents didn't do this because they hated him. They did this because they loved him. And at first, you might think, well, Pastor Susie, your parents set your brother up to lose. No, my parents loved my brother enough that if they had to set him up to temporary lose so that he could learn that he would never win without them, they would. And for months and months and months, my brother went down even worse of a rabbit hole until one day when he realized, if I keep using this strategy of how to win, I'm just going to keep on losing. My brother thought he could win by himself, but he eventually learned that he would never win without my parents. And he came home, and he stopped doing drugs, and he stopped drinking alcohol, and he stopped sleeping around. And here we are, more than 10 years later, my brother finished his bachelor's degree, is married, two beautiful children, and he's really winning because today he's serving Jesus. Today he's winning because he's serving Jesus. But my parents had to allow him to lose so that ultimately he would win. So, when we ask the question, God, why would you allow all these old rules if you knew they were useless? Why would you give us a system that you knew we would lose? He didn't give you the law so that you could prove to him that you could follow them. He gave you the law so that you could learn you will never win without God. You will never win without God. It's not your performance. It's not your actions that cause you to win with God. It's knowing Christ. And by following Jesus is how we win with God. The law was obsolete, not parts of it, all of it. It cannot save you, even if you never commit adultery. It will not save you. Only relationship with Jesus Christ is how we win with God. It's how we win with God. And God temporarily needed to allow us to lose so we would learn that we need him to win. We need him to win. The world will tell me that I'm a winner. Man, I'm good. I've got everything it takes. I won't say it about you, but I'll say it about myself. I'm not a winner. I'm actually a loser. I cannot win on my own. I will fail time and time again, and I will lose my life falsely winning all the way into an eternal loss without God. And if he needs to allow me to temporarily lose, so I learned that I need him to win, thank God that he loved me enough to do it. Thank God that my parents loved my brother because if they didn't, he might still be losing today. But by the grace of God, he sent his son Jesus so that we could win. So in closing, what are our two takeaways? For those that are following Jesus, You've already received salvation. You've already received the forgiveness of your sins. But if you'll be honest, you're still trying to perform, to impress God. Well, I got to be served in church, and I got to be doing this, and I got to be doing that. And if I'm not doing all these things, then God doesn't approve of me. Then I'm not winning with God. I don't do anything because I have to. I do everything because I want to. And there needs to be a paradigm shift in why you serve and obey God. Don't serve God so that you can win with him. Serve God because you're already winning with him. I don't work hard to gain God's approval. I work hard because I'm grateful that I already have God's approval. He he already loves me. I, I don't have to earn it. I've already been given it. So as a follower of Christ, you don't need to impress God. Don't serve him so that he won't be mad at you. Serve him because you love him. Serve him because he is your deepest desire. Don't work hard to gain God's approval. Work hard because you're grateful that you already have it. And second, to those who might be here and you don't believe in Jesus, and you're asking the question, how do I win with God? The answer is you can't, so he won for you. After years and years and years of us breaking God's law, God knew that from the very beginning, finally it was time, the people have learned they can't win without me, so now I'll come win for them. And he sent his son Jesus to spread his arms wide and dine cross. You see, because from the very, very beginning, God created a system of you, you winning. Adam and Eve in the garden. You have everything that you need to win in this garden. But what did they do? They still lost. Because Adam and Eve chose to fill their hands with an apple of sin. So then Jesus said, the systems of you winning, you can't. You've shown me time and time again you cannot win, so I will win for you. And because Eve filled her hand with an apple of sin, Jesus filled his hand with the nails of grace and died on the cross so that you could be forgiven, not by the law, but by his grace. And three days later, he rose from the grave showcasing nothing can hold me, nothing can stop me. And to all who would believe and put their trust in Christ, not who would perform, not who would do good works, but all who would trust Jesus would be saved. We win with God by putting our trust in Jesus. Not by going to church on Sundays, not by reading the Bible, not even by praying. We win with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the last thing as I close. Growing up, I played soccer. I'm Brazilian, so like if I don't, my father would like disown me. You know what I'm saying? Like, played some sports, played some soccer. And I'm pretty young. I'm 29. But I'm old enough to have lived in an era where in order to get an award, like you needed to win. You know what I'm saying? You needed to win. So like you needed to work really hard. Run a lot. Be in good shape. You had to be the top of the top. The best of the best if you wanted to get an award. If you wanted to win and be a winner, you needed to be the best, perform the best, run the fastest, be in the best shape. But then somewhere in the past maybe 10 years, the world has introduced something that maybe we have mixed feelings about. It's called the Participation Award. And nowadays, in order to be a winner, you don't need to be the best. You don't need to be the fastest you don't need to be the smartest you just need to participate you don't need to be number one you don't need to be at the top you just need to participate jesus christ died on the cross because we couldn't win and so he made a way that in order to receive eternal life you didn't need to be the best you just needed to participate You just need to say, God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And the more that I try, the more that I fail. So Jesus, thank you that you give me opportunity to have a relationship with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believe, whoever participate, not whoever wins because you can win eternal life, not by being the smartest, not by knowing the most about the Bible, but just by participating. God made a way for you to win without being the best. And I pray in Jesus' name that some of you here today, you've been trying to perform in order to win with God. But Jesus said, no, you just have to love me and participate. You just have to love me and participate. For some of you, I pray a burden has been lifted of you trying to stay in relationship with God by performing or feeling guilty that because of 2020 you haven't been able to serve in church or you haven't been able to give financially as much. Oh, God, I must be disappointed. No, he's just glad that you're participating. You used to tithe. You used to give a lot. Now you give five bucks. He says, I'm just glad you're participating. You're not giving the most, but you're just participating, and that pleases me. Oh, you just had a brand new baby and now you had to cut down your volunteer hours. I'm not mad at you because your performance doesn't impress me anyway. I'm just glad you're participating. I love you. I gave my life to save you. And I pray that that burden of performance would fall off of you in Jesus' name. And for some of you, I pray today that you would make a decision to follow Jesus. You're here. I'm looking at the chat. Many people are here, I can imagine, that are not following Jesus. And if you're here and you'd like to make a decision to say yes to follow Christ, I would challenge you to start winning, not by being the best, but by participating. And I want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. Why don't we all bow our heads and close our eyes? And if that's you and you want to say yes to follow Jesus, pray this with me. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, God, that I don't have to be the best, but today I've come to participate. I've come to serve you. I've come to love you. And I pray that, God, you would help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to do something bold for me. If you're here and you just said yes to follow Jesus, I want to ask you to do something bold. You don't have to be the best, but I'm asking you to participate. If you just said yes to follow Jesus, I want you to go ahead and right now and already get it typed in, the word yes. symbolizing I just said yes to follow Jesus. And when I count down from three, I want you to spam that enter button, and we want to celebrate with you, believing there are people here right now watching later on YouTube that are giving their lives to follow Jesus. Get that yes ready. Three, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another day. Two, you don't have to be the best, but God invites you. One, right now, put the yes in the chat. Can we put our hands together? To celebrate believing there are people right now that are saying yes to follow Jesus. Praise God, everybody. We're so proud and excited for you. We're super excited for those of you that have just accepted Jesus Christ for the very first time. And if you guys could do me a favor and type exclamation point next level in the chat and just click on that link or you can go into the panels and click on next level. That will send you to a form that will allow us to be able to get a hold of you because a lot of times people that just accepted Jesus Christ are not too sure exactly what they need to do at this point. But we'd like to be able to give you some resource, be able to walk beside you because this is a super important decision and we want to be able to walk walk beside you in that walk and that, that new journey that you are starting today.